0: Well, Good morning. Let me ask you if you would join me in turning to the book of 1 John. Uh, We're going to be in chapter 2 this morning as we wrap up the second chapter of John's letter. And we'll actually be sort of sneaking into the uh, third chapter as well this morning. And As you're turning there, I'm just going to sort of set the stage for our talk this morning uh, by telling you a story about when I bought my first house. Uh, Because Kathy and I, when we moved to Innisfil, uh, many years ago, to minister at our very first church, one of the big decisions you make is deciding where you're going to live. Uh, and you know, go, you go through that process. We must have looked at 30, 40 different houses. It a pretty small town. And yet, none of them were really sort of what we wanted. And if you've ever sort of been house shopping, uh, you know, houses can kind of range from the sort of not quite right to the absolutely strange. Like, what are these people doing with their houses? Uh, but finally, Finally, we found a house that just worked. It was exactly what we were looking for. And as I look back on that time, I'm glad we didn't compromise. Uh, I'm glad we didn't settle for something different that didn't quite meet our needs. I'm glad we waited for exactly the house we wanted, for the house that became our home. Because where you live is an important decision. And I tell you that because it's not just an important decision for us physically, It's also an important decision for us spiritually. And that probably comes as a surprise to sort of many people because unlike the houses in which we live, many people don't spend a lot of time sort of worrying or even thinking about where they're living spiritually. And what a difference that decision makes. And if God has anything to say about it, he knows where we should be living. Because we should be dwelling in Christ. Our passage actually begins this morning in 1 John 2.28. It says, Now little children, abide in him. That word abide is, is one that John has already used a couple of times throughout this letter. Uh, and he's going to be using it again. And if you remember last week, t- we said to abide means to dwell with. It means staying in contact. It means you know making something part of our lives and our everyday experience. Abiding describes sort of a continuing, ongoing, active relationship with Jesus Christ. And again, note that word active there. This is not describing someone who's just sort of life is on spiritual autopilot. When you abide, it's, it's conscious, it's daily, it's again, active. Because abiding is about pursuing, actively pursuing a relationship. And there's no more important relationship in our lives as Christians than that, between that one between us and our Lord. And when it comes to abiding, the Bible gives us many images of what that looks like. Um, Jesus talks about the vine and the branches. Uh, It also, the Bible talks about abiding, sort of being a daily walk, uh, a walk we take with Jesus every day. Talks about abiding as living in the truth and and living in obedience to God. And our passage this morning, it's kind of a transitional one. Uh, John's sort of moving from one thought to another. He's kind of all over the map a little bit as he talks here. But what I would really like to sort of have us see this morning, what I'd like to talk about today, is this idea of seeing abiding as actually being part of the family of God. That we dwell in this family of God together. And you can join me as we talk about that, looking at our passage, beginning in 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. It says, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we will see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Let's pray together. Father God, um, just pray you be with us, Lord, that you would be with us and we would dwell in you, that we would dwell in that anointing we talked about last week that leads us into truth, who is the Holy Spirit. Uh, to be our teacher, to be our guide, uh, just to reveal this to us as we make it our own and we live it out every day of our lives. Um, yeah, Lord, we invite you in to this moment, that, Lord, you would just be with us and speak to us. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Rudgard Kipling, uh, who's a well-known author of The Jungle Book, he once wrote about families saying, all of us are we and everyone else is they. A family shares things like dreams, hopes, possessions, memories, smiles, frowns, and gladness. A family is a clan held together with the glue of love and the cement of mutual respect. A family is a shelter from the storm, a friendly port in the waves of life become too wild, and no person is ever alone who is a member of a family. And you know, when it comes to that idea of family, we see that family, specifically children, children is one of John's favorite images uh, for describing the Christian life, uh, describing what it means to be a believer. You're part of this family. You're one of the children of God. Uh, he even says, 1 John 2, verse 1, says, my little children, that's how he addresses the, the readers, I'm writing these things to you so that you will not sin. 1 John 2, 12, I am writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. 1 John 2, 18, children, it is the last hour. 1 John 2, 28 from our passage, now little children, First John 3:18, he says, "Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but indeed in deed and truth." In fact, John uses the word children" to address his readers in, in, in the letter of First John, no less than twelve times. He calls us children. And even in his other letters, John does this. The second John 1:4, he says, "I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in truth, just as you were commanded by the Father. Third John one4. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. But you know, it's not just John that understands that we are part of God's family. You know, the authors of the New Testament use the word brothers or brethren to describe believers and our relationship to one another something like 120 times in the New Testament. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 16, he said, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought, brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And even Jesus, when He taught the disciples to pray, He taught them to pray, Our Father in heaven. You know, in Aramaic, that's a, that word, our Father, that Jesus uses there is Abba. It's a, it's a term of child, childhood, childlike affection for a daddy. Because we're part of the family of God. He is our Father God, and we are His children, and the church is full of our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Now, what does it mean, then, to abide in that truth? What does it mean to dwell as part of the family of God here on earth? Well... Our passage today actually gives us several insights that I think we sort of should know about. And I have six lessons that I want to bring to your attention this morning about family life. Uh, And the first lesson is that we need to know that the only way into God's family is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, John says in 1 John 2 verse 28, he says, And now little children abide in him. And abiding in Christ is what this family does. It's what this family is all about. Because you can't earn a place in this family, you can't purchase a place in this family, even if you're looking on Amazon. You're not going to find it. You can't get in by chance or good fortune or even dumb luck. This family is a place we enter into only through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul talks about Jesus in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 17. He says, He came, And preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God people and also members of his household. It is Jesus and his work on the cross that gets us into this family. And again, Jesus himself says in John 14... Beginning in verse 2, he says, In my Father's house are many rooms, many places to dwell, places to abide. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, what I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am going you may also be. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus didn't say, I'm one of many ways. He didn't say, I'm going to show you the way. He didn't say, I'll tell you what direction to head. He said, I am the way. The one and only way into the Father's household is through the Son. Reminds me of a great illustration from all the way back in the time of the U.S. Civil War. President Abraham Lincoln had issued an order for the army that that no man, during that time, no man was allowed to go on furlough. But during that time, a man made his way to the city of Washington in order to see the president. But the guards wouldn't let him in. And the soldier said his wife was dying and he just wanted to go home and see her one last time. But still, they would not allow his admission. Well, the man turned away from the White House with his head bowed and anxiety written all over his face. But as he walked away, a young boy came up to him and asked, what's the matter? And he turned to the boy and said, he said, my wife is dying. And I wanted a furlough, but they won't allow me to see the president. Very well, said the little boy, take my hand. And he did. And the boy led the soldier by the hand, back to the White House and past the gates and up the stairs to the White House and in through the front door and down the hall right to the president's room where they met one final guard who would not allow them through the door. He said, the president is busy. And the boy simply yelled past the guard to the Oval Office, Father, tell this man to let us come in. And Abraham Lincoln put down his pen and said, let them in. And the boy came in with the soldier, and he told his story. And Abraham Lincoln took his pen, dipped it in the ink, and signed the order of furlough and sent the man home. Because that's the wonder of the Son. And in the same way, the Bible tells us that through the Son, we have access to the Father. Through Jesus Christ, the door to God, the Father, is always open. And and more than just allowing us access, God actually makes us a part of His family. He makes us sons and daughters. As we abide in Jesus. And that leads us to the rest of verse 28, where it says, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame that is coming. And here's the next lesson about God's family that as a family, we long to be together, and we long to see Jesus once again. You know, families, when they're healthy, they love to be together. And when you're a family and one of you is missing, one of you is away, you miss them. (laughs) Sometimes you miss them terribly. And you can't wait until they come home. And yet I would suspect that if you took a poll of, say, a hundred Christians and asked them what their honest thoughts and feelings were, you know, about this moment when they will see Jesus face to face, I'm pretty sure not all of them would express sort of excitement or even quiet confidence about that moment. Many, I suspect, would actually think about the return of Jesus with almost a sense of dread or feeling of, we're just not ready. So when it comes to a family dynamic, I think many people look at the return of Jesus like I did when I was a little kid and my mom said the words, wait until your father gets home. (laughs) Did you ever get that one? Uh, Because if mom said those words, you knew you were in trouble. You did something bad And you knew that when Dad got home, he would find out, and you, well, yeah. And the waiting was awful. It was, like, anxious. Oh, almost like, don't come home, Dad. Work overtime. Um, That is not the picture that John wants us to have of Jesus' return. The picture John wants us to have is, like, when I, you know, when my kids were young, and I would actually come home from work, maybe even come home work from work early. And I would come through the door, and my kids would hear me, and they would run to me, yelling "Daddy!" And they were so cute back then; like less cute now. But uh, the dog does it, <laughs> if that matters. But you know, when my kids, I would get down on my knees, and I would hug them, and there was joy because our family was together again. That's what the return of Christ is to be like for the believer. I like how one commentary put it. It says, The return of Christ is not to evaluate if our behavior has been acceptable. It's to reveal the truth about God's relationship with his children. It's about welcoming his children as he returns home. You know, Jesus already took our sin and our shame upon himself at the cross. And because of... and. and, and because of that, John wants us to be living with a sense of confidence in his return, a sense of assurance, a sense of eager anticipation of when we'll see Jesus again. And yet, for those who do you not know, do have that sense of dread of Jesus' return, it could be because of what we read in verse 29. Uh, verse 29 says, If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And the family lesson we learn here is that in families, there's often a family resemblance. Um, we take after one another. Uh, we see a very similar verse uh, later in our passage. First John 3, verse 3 says, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And as believers, we know we're called to be living holy lives. Uh, again, we could say 1 Peter 1, 15. says, but, he who is just, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And maybe even more intimidating, Jesus' words in Matthew 5, verse 48, Jesus says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And you know, that's a tall order. I mean, how how do you be comfortable living your life when perfection is the standard? But some of us, because of that, some of us may need to hear this. First, God never asks us to do something that he's not going to empower us to do. And it's God's forgiveness that makes us clean. It's God's power that transforms our lives. When it comes to making a spiritual difference in our lives, it's up to God. 1 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Christ recreates us. Christ redefines us. Christ does the work. He transforms us. He renews us. So when you hear verses like this telling you to be perfect or to be righteous or to be pure as God is pure... Don't hear that as God telling you that you have to do something in order to be accepted by him. I want you to hear that as God telling you that you're already accepted so that you can now do something. Uh, Righteousness is not just something that we should be working on. It's something we already have in Christ. Maybe another way of saying it would be to say these verses are not speaking to our obligation as believers as much as they are speaking about our identity as believers. is that this is part of who, you know, part of being in God's family. It's part of the family resemblance we have to the father as his children. You know, in my family, we we also have a family resemblance. Um, Sorry, Dad. But in my family, the men share a certain physical appearance, uh, we're, we're a little round, yeah, it's, I don't want to be unkind, uh, but we don't have a lot of sharp edges, uh, you know, hard surfaces, like that kind of stuff. Built for comfort, not speed, it's all good. And you know, sometimes people look at my boys and like, oh, they're so skinny, and I'm like, just wait, it's coming. Oh, it's, yeah, their time's coming. But you know what, I, I never really had to work to become like this, it's, it was part of my DNA, it's part of who I am. Part of being part of my family. And righteousness, it's the same way. As children of God, righteousness is part of our identity as God's children. We're born into it. It's part of who we are. We just need to keep growing into it. Because in God's family, there's a family resemblance. And it's who we're becoming. And we'll talk about that more next time. But, you know, often we hear... When you hear a verse like that, we often hear the obligations implied in verses like that. Like, I have to do this and I have to do that. But we miss the assurances that says this is who you are as a child of God. So maybe because of that, John continues in chapter 3 by giving us even more reason for confidence. He says in verse 1, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. And the family lesson here is that in God's family, it's it's established and defined by his love, by God's love, which is, I was going to say almost indescribable, but let's go all the way to indescribable. In fact, the phrase that John uses when he says, see what kind of love, it literally reads in the Greek, of what country is this? It's almost like John is saying, where did this come from? It's an exclamation of astonishment and, and surprise. John MacArthur says, perhaps John tried to call it super, colossal, stupendous, magnanimous, or unbelievable, but eventually gave up up and just basically said, wow. The concept of God's love overwhelmed John. And it's not hard to see why when a little bit later on in 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10, John says, and this is the love of God. And this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And now I've said this many times before, but if you want to know how big God's love is, you need to look no farther than the cross. I hope you never look at the cross without remembering how much God cares for you. I hope you never speak Christ's name without remembering God's love towards you. I hope you never again look in a mirror without remembering that you are the most precious thing in all the earth in the eyes of God. When you look in the mirror, see a person that matters to God, a person God personally created, a person that God was willing to die for. See a child who is loved, By the Father in the family of God. But of course, just because we're in God's family and we are loved doesn't mean that we will be understood. Um, As verse 1 of chapter 3 continues, we see the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. And here's the truth families are often misunderstood, even the family of God. Uh, And that's to be because, to be honest, families are weird. Uh, there's no better way to say it. And you're part of one, so you already know this. Uh, you know, For any one of you, uh, if you're in a serious relationship, uh, you get that moment when you have to introduce that your, your, your per- partner to your family. And when you do that, a lot of times there's a lot of prep involved. Like, you got to kind of massage it a little bit. And you find yourself saying things like, okay, just so you know, when you meet them, um, you know, my family does this, or, you know, they, they like to say that, or they have these quirks. And, you know, but my dad's going to tell you a bunch of bad jokes. Just be, you know, my mom's going to try to make you a sandwich. Uh, my brother, he's going to smell like pineapples. Don't ask. Like, it's just, it's weird. Like, I, you know, there's all kinds of things. And it's just the way we are. And it's not that we're ashamed of those things. It's just that people outside the family, they don't get it. Because it's not obvious to them. Because they're not in the family. And John tells us here that the same is true with God's family. People outside the family, they don't get it. I love what A.W. Tozer said. He says, a real Christian is an odd number. He feels supreme love for one he has never seen. He talks in a familiar way every day to someone he cannot see. He expects to go to heaven on the virtue of another. He empties himself in order to be full. He admits he's wrong to be declared right. He goes down to be lifted up. He's strongest when he's weak. He's richest when when he's poor. He dies so that he can live. He forsakes in order to have. He gives away so that he can keep. He sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, and knows that which passes understanding. And to a lost world looking at a believer, it would seem at times we're out of our minds. Because the world just doesn't get it. Because they're not part of the family. And that means that being part of the family is a wonderful thing, but it's not always an easy thing. Because people don't like things they don't understand. Uh, Which is why Jesus gives the warning in John 15, beginning of verse 18. He says that the world hates you. Know that it hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world will love you as its own. But because you are not of the world... But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. This world does not understand us. And that means the world will often reject and ridicule and even work against us. We are misunderstood and often maligned because we're part of the family of God. And that leads us to the final lesson um, that we learned this morning about being part of the family of God and abiding as part of the family. And that's being part of the family of God means we have an inheritance of hope. Family inheritance. 1 John 3, verse 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. John here returns to this theme of Jesus' return. And it's a reminder of our hope. Hope that we shall one day be with him. And that we shall be like him. This speaks of the resurrection. It speaks, you know, of, of life, you know, beyond this life, of eternal life, of eternity. And just as in our everyday lives, you know, our families are, can be such a source of strength as we go through hard times. In the family of God, a big part of the strength that we get because we're part of this family is the hope we have in Christ. It helps us overcome and face all kinds of adversities. John Maxwell writes, Hope shines brightest when the hour is darkest. Hope motivates when discouragement comes. Hope energizes when the body is tired. Hope sweetens while bitterness bites. Hope sings when all melodies are gone. Hope listens for answers when no one is talking. Hope climbs over obstacles when no one is helping. Hope endures hardship when no one is caring. Hope smiles confidently when no one is laughing. Hope dares to give when no one is sharing. And hope presses towards victory when no one is encouraging. Hope. It's so essential for our lives. I like how one author puts it. He says, we can rebound against wind and weather, calamity and tragedy, disease and death, so long as we have hope. We can live weeks without food. Days without water and even several minutes without air, but you take away our hope and within seconds we toss in the towel. Maybe that's why the New Testament alone says the events related to Christ's return are mentioned over 300 times. Because the Bible wants to keep our hope front and center. In fact, the Bible basically ends with the idea of a big family reunion. And it will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and the death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And that's our hope. And it's too precious to lose sight of. And even when you face trials, even when you go through those furnaces of suffering and pain, even when your dreams have crumbled, even then Christ makes all the difference because he's our hope. And that hope is our inheritance as the family of God. Hope is found in being part of God's family. And I'm just going to close with a story. It reads, somewhere along the many miles of the Southern California shoreline walked a young 20-year-old woman with a terminal disease in her body and a gun in her hand. A troubled young woman, her mind was filled with doubts. She had advanced leukemia. The doctors told her she didn't have long to live. She checked herself out of the hospital because as she put it, she couldn't take another day in that terrible isolation. She'd recently lost a baby. Her husband had left her. And then her best friend had recently been killed in a car accident. Her life was broken and she'd run out of hope. She talked of taking her husband's gun and going to the beach Just to end it all. Yet in a fateful moment before her friend's accident, her best friend had given her a New Testament. And inside she had written the name of a pastor with a little note that said, if you're really in need, I think you'll understand. So she took a chance and she made the call. The pastor talked to her for a long time, answering questions about death and suicide. He never knew the woman's name. But he spoke to her about Christ and the hope that he could provide. After an ache and a sigh that was obvious, she hung up. And it was with some surprise that the pastor later received a call, once again, from the same woman. She had read the Bible that she was beginning in, and in her own words, she told him, I've decided without reservation to give myself to Jesus Christ. I'm still afraid. I still have doubts. I still don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. But I want you to know that I've turned my life over to Christ and I'm trusting Him through this. He has given me new hope. And that was the one thing I really needed. I know it's possible that there's someone here today who feels the same way. You need to know that it is the hope in Christ that is the only way through those difficulties you're facing. And I can't promise you healing. I I can't promise you that your problems are going to fade away. But I can promise you that Jesus will receive you if you come to him in faith and he will bring you the hope and the love and the belonging that you so desperately desire. Because Jesus wants to welcome you into his family, the family of God. And being part of God's family is the greatest blessing and greatest promise of them all. As the old song says, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood, joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod, for I'm part of the family, the family of God. Let's pray. Lord God, what what an amazing promise you gave us today. Uh, Just as you are the vine and we are the branches, you are the Father and we are your children. And Lord, I just pray that we would pause and just wonder at the amazing thought of that thought, Uh, that our minds would be overwhelmed and our hearts overflowing with the joy that that thought brings, and that, Lord, we would abide in you, because while we were still sinners, you died for us, and not only died to forgive us, but you died to invite us into a relationship with you. You died so that we could be adopted, so that we could belong and have a place in your household, and that we could dwell and just abide with you as your children. And what blessings come from being with you, Lord? As we heard today about the love that is showered upon us, the hope that we're giving, and we have peace and we have joy. And Lord, it's it's a picture of the greatness of your grace. And you're welcome to all of us and your call for us to be part of your family and to be the children of God. I pray, Lord, that we would just understand and live out the truth of who we are as your children, and that we would know and just rejoice because we are part of the family of God. We pray for these things. We thank you for these things. May you bless them to our heart and help us live them in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.